I'm very laid back, go with the flow. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, and then some girls are like, have to eat at this time, and guys, players, you know, eat at this time, train at this time. And I think with what we do, by putting that extra pressure on yourself to do that, it can be, you know, draining. As you know, we're in the middle of a series of conversations with sports leadership, management, professional players and coaches about what it means to lead on the field. These episodes would not be possible without our partners at Forward Zone, forwardzone.com, a global sports management business, uh, or the team at Platform 45, who indeed have come on for the last couple of episodes to sponsor and make the production of this show possible. Today, I get to talk to a golfer. I get to talk to Ashley Buhai, who is a remarkably successful South African female golfer. As an amateur, she absolutely blew the field away in a number of years, winning the South African Amateur Ch uh, Championship numerous times. And she's gone on to do incredibly well, both on the local Sunshine Tour and on the European Tour. And golf is a unique sport in the sense that She's the only person that she gets to blame if things don't go according to plan. And so we speak a lot about the mental state that she has to maintain, the routines that she has to maintain, the discipline and the consciousness she has to have as an individual uh, in a sport that is highly competitive, takes her all over the world and often away from family and home. Um, and especially during this outrageous last year where it's been very difficult to maintain that momentum in the midst of disruption and change. Ashley is a wonderful ambassador for South Africa. It was a privilege to talk to her and I hope you'll enjoy the show. So Ashley, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your diary. I know you've got a a busy week leading up to the Pelican Women's Championship this weekend. And I know you've got a practice round coming up, but uh, yeah, really appreciate you taking a moment out of a sunny day in Florida to chat to me. Oh, you're welcome. It's only a pleasure. So you're now based primarily in the States. Is that right? Actually, you moved at the beginning of this year. Is that correct? Um, I wouldn't say moved. I mean, this is obviously where I'm playing full time at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, the plan was to probably to move over in around March. Um, my husband yeah. used to caddy for me. He caddies out on the LPGA too. So we wanted to try and find a base here. But uh, then COVID hit and threw a little spanner in the works. Yeah. So we, we were stuck in South Africa um, during the lockdown and then managed to get on a repatriation flights at the end of June to the States and literally packed everything up and put in a storage unit because we didn't know we would be able to get back to South Africa. So we've been here since June and kind of just going from week to week with the tournaments and um, luckily enough my brother-in-law my husband's brother lives in Chicago so we've always used that as a base when we've oh, needed somewhere to go so we we've had somewhere at least to stay okay super yeah a bit of a bittersweet year I imagine because with a full schedule it would have been quite difficult to adjust to, to the new environment but in, in a strange way I suppose it's also given you a moment just to ease into uh, a new space right yeah, definitely. You know, A, we still didn't have an idea of where we wanted to go or base ourselves. Sure. Primarily, you need to find somewhere where the weather's decent all year round. So mm -hmm. golfers tend to go towards Florida or Dallas, also because those two states are tax-free states. So it's also something you've got to try Always and look helpful. at uh, when, you, when you're trying to base yourself in the states. So we're slowly figuring out and hopefully now the plan is to be here full-time by next year. 
every March. Okay, super. So you, I mean, you've got active cards on the on the LPGA and European Tour um, at the moment, and and I mean, once you combine all of the available events across those two tours, it, it gets pretty busy, I imagine. How do you organize your schedule? Let give me a sort of a sense of a, a professional golfer's <laughs> diary. Um, how do you decide which events to take on, and and do you ever pass by opportunities to play? So with me playing full time in the states, you know, this is where all the big tournaments are, where the money is in women's golf, yeah. you're always going to favor here. Mm. Having a card on the Ladies European Tour, I have to play a minimum of six events to keep my status out there. And that's something that I've always done and wanted to do. Um, this mm. year with us not having as many events and COVID, they did away with that. So luckily there was no pressure to try fly across the pond and play both sides this year but sure you know it always is difficult I play a lot more golf than um, most players do I, I can play anywhere between 28 and 32 tournaments a year yeah uh, trying to you know play both sides but yeah my coach and I will always sit down at the beginning of the year with the schedules you look at your weeks in the LPJ I'm never going to skip an LPJ event for an LET event yeah yeah but it's a case of where we can fit in the LET events and there's always going to be I can always really get in four because the SI Open's one I always play, um, and that's co-sanctioned with the Ladies European Tour. Then mm. there's the Evian, mm. which is co-sanctioned. It's a major mm. British Open, co-sanctioned with LPJ and LET, and then you have um, the Scottish Open. So it's normally kind of just trying to find a two extra tournaments. Um, but, you know, I've played many, many, for many years now. Some weeks I've done 10, 11 trying to get across the pond and back between Europe and the States. But as I get older, it's, it's not doable anymore. The body doesn't like like that. Well, you know, you say older, but I don't think you're being sensitive to present <laughs> company because you, yeah. you are, you are the, the ripe old age of 31. Um, yeah. But I mean, you've been, you've been on the, you've been literally touring for 13 years, right? You, you turned pro at yes. the age of 18. Um, yes. t- take me back to, you know, the, the, the very, very early years and your decisions to turn pro, what were some of the, the dynamics you had to consider? Because I imagine there were multiple vo- voices and, and of course, everybody has an opinion, right? How did you decide to turn pro or to take a little bit more time uh, at, at, you know, at the age of 18? I think, you know, when it came to decision, you can only turn pro once you're 18. So that was always in my sure. mind. Um Obviously, you have the option of going to play college golf. Um, for yeah. me, I didn't really like that option. I, I've never really been a scholar, so my, my schoolwork wasn't really at the level it needed to be for the grades. I had all these offers, but it wouldn't have quite got me through enough. I'm sure, and at yeah. the same time, yeah. I wanted to play golf. And if you went to college and your grades weren't up, you don't play golf. So then I'm like, hmm. well, this this isn't going to work for me. And yeah. You know, I'd competed. I'd won everything in South Africa. There was to win. I'd won tournaments overseas as a junior. Uh, I'd won mm. professional tournaments as an amateur and beaten players that I'd played that were playing in Europe at the time. So I felt, you know, I was ready. I felt I proved myself and I could compete with them and I was ready for that next step. So, you know, you have to kind of see where you are and there's a lot of girls or, and guys that decide, well, they're not ready and they need the college step or a few more years of amateur golf to hone their game. But I'd done that. There was all to do, and I needed to now give myself um, that next test, and that was going to be turning professional. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you'd won the Lady South African Amateur Stroke Play and Match Play double, right, already by the time you turned pro? 
Yeah, so I won the first one when I was 14. I did the double. I mean, this and is just crazy. And then from on 14 through to La Tempra, I won it every year, but I didn't get win the match play the one year. I'm sure that made you really popular amongst local local golfers. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, here's Ashley again. <laughs> I, think, I think yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were happy for me because obviously, you know, new records were being broken and, and set. Yeah. But at the same time, you're competing against each other. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, I'd won um, the ladies' essay open as an amateur twice. Mm -hmm. First when I was 14 and then 17. Yeah, for me, I, I was ready to take that next step. No, I mean, I'm there's one thing that I, I can't get my mind around actually i mean i've been playing golf since i was 12 i think that's when my dad first bought me a haphazard set of easy three irons and a billy casper yeah. like five wood um <laughs> from the pro shop secondhand section and to this date after 28 years of, of playing this game that i love and despise i still haven't been able to break 80 i'm, I'm quite embarrassed to admit that in public but uh this last weekend i was playing a uh, royal johannesburg west course which you know, yeah. if, you, if you want to break it's 80 there's course. good there's a good course yeah <laughs> um yeah. so i shoot i shoot we play back nine uh first i shoot 37 on the back nine right not bad pretty chuffed uh -huh. and i've got literally six shots to play with to break 80 for the first time and obviously i capitulate uh -huh. right like three doubles yeah. bogey need birdie on the ninth to 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 shoot 79 I'm 40, yeah. all right? Yeah. And I still don't have the substance to pull through on just breaking 80 on a casual course on a weekend. How, where did you find the metal and the, like, the, as they say in that wonderful movie Snatch, the minerals? Um, mm -hmm. Where did you develop this, like, steel, resolute personality for this, this game? Because you don't have a team that you could just kind of lean on if you're not having a great day. It's you and you alone, right? You only have one person to blame. Where did that strength come from? I think somehow there's a part of it, you're either born with it or you're not. Um, sure. You know, some people prefer a team sport. Mm -hmm. Some people prefer individual sports. You know, growing up, I've been blessed to be talented with ball sports. I mean, I played hockey, I played tennis, soccer, cricket. I just have that hand-eye coordination. So mm -hmm. I played all Clearly. the team sports. Yeah. And I was successful at school. But there was something that drew me to golf because it was an individual sport. Mm. And, you know, when it goes wrong, who do you rely on yourself? When it mm. goes great, who is it? It's yourself. So I think there was something that drew me that it's all on you. And yes, maybe there's that extra pressure. Whereas when you're in a team sport and you're having a bad day, you can kind of get away with it. But I just love the fact that if I work hard and put the work in, um, it was on me and I get, mm. you know, I get all the rewards kind of thing. And from a, from a young age, you know, my parents, you, yes, you're out there by yourself, but you're surrounded by a team off the course. Of you're, course. As long yes. as you have a good support system, I have my parents my first coaches, and I think which was very important is they didn't put pressure on me. It was I always wanted to play golf. It wasn't like you need to go hit golf balls. Why mm. didn't you practice today? Mm. I pushed myself. Um, mm. And I think that's also why I'm playing to this day and I still love it to this day and why I haven't had burnout because it's something that I've always wanted to do. That's amazing. Yeah, I think you know golf is fairly – well, not completely unique from that perspective, but, I mean, when you, when you consider top-tier – professional sport you've got golf you've got tennis you've got maybe one or two combat sports but the the vast majority of sports are, are team oriented uh certainly ball sports yeah. you know in your mind what what separates the mentality of a 
a solo professional sports person from, let's say, a Harry Kane at Tottenham Hotspur or uh, A.B. de Villiers, uh, well, used to be A.B. de Villiers in the, in the pro tiers. What, what yeah. separates that mentality in, in your experience? I don't know. Hey? <laughs> it's actually it's a difficult question. Yeah. I, I can't say I've really thought about it. I think every athlete individually puts pressure on themselves. So although you might sure. be surrounded by a team, you're going to internally put pressure on yourself to be the best in your field and what position you play. I think, you know, maybe in, in sport, other sports, you just have everybody to uplift you. And, you know, mm. obviously mm. when you're in a team, you know who's the best in the team. And as an individual, you've got to prop yourself up. Hmm. Yeah, so, of course. I don't know. It's it's a difficult one to answer, to be honest. How, how do you work on that? How do you work on that the mental aspect of your game because I mean it's sort of widely reported and and people talk about how critical talent is in golf but ultimately it's it's a mental game and and the you know if you consider the the very top tier of golfers there's a lot of extraordinarily talented golfers out there that just can't cut it because they don't have the mental psychological capacity for the sport at the highest level how do you do you work on that as actively as you work on the rest of your game or it, like it, do you think it's just something that you have or you don't have I think for some you have and for some work harder on it. Yeah. For me, I've gone through phases of my career when I've worked with a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, right now when you're in a good space, or like I've been playing well and obviously yeah. I'm very comfortable with where I am at the moment and I don't feel I need it. Um, so I think it just depends what part of your career you're in and if you're going through an up or down, you know, when – Things aren't going so well. I don't work specifically anybody, but I'll go back and I'll read notes that I've written down hmm. from books that I've read or I'll listen to podcasts because sometimes all you need is just like one thought and it can switch sure. immediately. Just a it's, little gem. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah. You'll be swinging at the same, but it's a thought that will help you get over the line the next week. So I think it's just, just depends on what part of the roller coaster you're on at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and it is, it does tend to go in those those crests and troughs, right? I, I mean, mm-hmm. as they say, you know, it's, it really is a form game, and I think that applies to most professional sports people. But it's seldom more apparent than it is in golf. It's it's you know, you watch people that go from tournament to tournament, and they, they seemingly can't avoid placing in the in the top ten, and then they'll have a span of three years where they struggle to make the cuts, and you're just trying to figure out how is that the same individual you know what's going and and again you know more often than not it's 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 more in the head than are you a very routine driven person do you rely quite heavily on you know kind of rituals and patterns or are you sort of quite haphazard how how kind of set is your schedule your time your practice routine and so on i'm very laid back go with the flow um (laughs) and i think (laughs) You know, and then some girls are like, have to eat at this time. And guys, players, you know, eat at this time, train at this time. And I think with what we do, by putting that extra pressure on yourself to do that, it can be, you know, draining. Because, you know, some weeks you need to just be able to go with the flow. The weather's going to change. You're going to have delays. Um, Sure. Like, for instance, we, we played in Portland the week I finished second. We had delays because there were fires in the area. We couldn't play pre- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So hmm. girls were freaking out because now they haven't touched a club for three days. And I'm just like, oh, well, it is what it is. I've played the golf course. Yeah. We go out there and we do what we can. It's interesting because a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people just cannot cope with that, right? Yeah. I mean, they were like, okay, we've got an indoor facility where girls can go ahead. They open it up and 
within five minutes, you couldn't get a spot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> panic stations. Just, yeah. Some people, exactly. Some people are just built that way. But I also think because I've been playing longer, I've been doing sure. this for 13 years, I know now what works for me. Maybe if you'd told me that 10 years ago, I might have been one of those rushing to put my name in on the on the list. But as you go on, you realize what works for you. It's easy to try and see what other people are doing and see, well, that's what I have to do. And everybody tries things throughout their career. Mm, mm. But I'm pretty relaxed, go with the flow and see what happens during the week. I put in the work as much as I work I feel I need to do, but I'll never go stand on a range for four hours if I'm hitting a good. I'll, sure. hit, it, I'll hit balls for 45 minutes and be I'm happy. Yeah. Let's go. Does that happen then on the golf course as well? Because obviously, as you as you rightly point out, you can have circumstances that change tournament schedules or your hotel room can be booked incorrectly or all sorts of things can, yep. I suppose, mess up your mojo around yep. a tournament. But then, then you're on, you know, then you teed off, you're on the golf course and obviously things, <laughs> things don't always go to exactly to plan. Do, <laughs> do you have the same... Do you have that same kind of very laid back attitude to moments on the golf course? How do you deal with that in, uh, sort of in play stress, if you like, the, the, the moments on the golf course where the rest of us want to, you know, break a club over our legs? How do you, yeah. how do you cope with those moments? I am overall pretty calm on the golf course. Internally, you're going to feel it. I try not to show it. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously you don't want people to be seeing you losing the plot. Yeah. Just wait for the camera to face <laughs> um, the other way and then have a full yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's also where a caddy is so important is where you have somebody that's next to you that you can talk it out with mm, um, mm. that can make you feel comfortable. But, you know, overall, internally, I'm pretty good at, at digesting it and, and trying to figure my way out. And there's some weeks where it's not going to go and you fight it for five or six holes and eventually you fought it for so long that, it's drained you and once you've let that tension go it's amazing how often you're birdie coming in but by then you probably missed the cut by one or two it's so strange yes um, yes <laughs> how Typical. that happens yeah and then that's when you have to learn from those situations that well if we can minimize it to one or two or bad holes you know you still have it in you to birdie home or make a few birdies coming in so yeah if, if you had to speak to people around me i think most of them would agree that i'm i'm pretty calm out there <laughs> Do you have like an internal voice? Do you tell yourself stuff on, on the course? Do you have kind of like a mantra oh, yeah. that you tell yourself? It varies. Um, so there's nothing specific. But if you're doing well, you, you internally and you're talking to yourself saying good job. Or if you're trying to pick yourself up, be like, come on, Ash, let's flush this one. Hit it close. A lot of stuff my coach and I work on, especially when you're playing tough tournaments, mm. you know, you're mm. trying to hit it to specific zones and take that pressure off you. And that that's something that I've done well when things aren't going well. You play to big spaces on the greens, mm. Mm. you know, because then well, it just looks if different, you miss it, you're it? still going to be, yeah, um, instead of some days you're not going to be able to hone in when you feel, when you, even you have a wedge in your hand. If, if you can play to big spaces of the greens and take pressure of yourself and know that you're still going to make par if you hit the green, it's okay. So I think that's also one way of taking a lot of pressure off yourself internally. I know there's a wonderful leadership metaphor in there. I just I'm not sophisticated enough to find it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious who are the and I use this word in inverted commas, but the leaders, um, whether it be coaches or players themselves, or even kind of people in the periphery of the sport that you really admire and are watching at the moment and are learning from um, – because I, I get the sense that as much as you are a – you have an enormous amount of self 
assurance, you're also very open to learning new things and, uh, and open to receptive to new ideas. Um, who do you look to for inspiration and, 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 and new innovation? Well, growing up, if, so growing up, my idols were always obviously South African guys, mm-hmm. someone like Ernie, and then female Anika, yeah. Sorenstam, Kari Webb. And it's weird, like when I turned pro, I got to meet all these people, but as I've gotten older, I've gotten to actually know them, which yes. is kind of cool. Yes. Should you should you meet your heroes? If you've had a good experience, like I have, luckily, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doesn't always um, go that way. But I think it. I think what you learn is you idolize these people, and you almost put this like aura around them. Mm, and once true. you get to know them, they're normal people. Hundred percent. Yes, yeah. they've accomplished all these things, and I think that's what's so cool. Like now, two weeks ago, I played golf with Kari Webb, and I hung out with her. We went for a barbecue, you know. That's amazing. And like, yeah. if I if I had to think of that, like ten years ago, I'd be like too scared to talk to her. And, you know, in the weekend, I was I played golf with Brandon Grace uh, mm. in Florida, and in that evening, Ernie was around at his house. Got to hang out with Ernie. And, you know, he's like my idol. Well, I'm still in awe when I'm around him. But of course, yeah. He's just a normal person, and talking about stories and golf, it's just it's fantastic. Um, so I'm always looking up and you know, to them still. And then in terms of, I think when I watch golf, I'm a golf nerd. Mm-hmm. A lot of players that play don't watch a lot of golf. But like watching the Masters this week and seeing what Dustin Johnson has done the last few weeks and seeing how calm he is, mm-hmm. that's something mm-hmm. that I always try to take and learn from him. Or, you know, seeing how good that – even I watch women's golf, I'll, I'll play a tournament and come back and watch the afternoon round. Because you're always mm. learning and seeing what other people are doing well and you, whatever you can learn from them. Great podcasts don't happen without great guests and great guests don't happen without great partners. This show wouldn't be possible without the help of Forward Zone. Find them at forwardzone.com. They're a global sports management specialist with a core focus on strategic consulting, experiential activations, and of course, talent management. And then Platform 45, who's come on board to sponsor a couple of episodes now. They're a software company. They're data-driven, design-thinking problem solvers, just like my guests. And they've done work for fintech startups, mining giants, pioneering entrepreneurs, and telecoms, amongst others. We thank them so much for their support. Please go check out their websites at forwardzone.com and platform45.com and enjoy the rest of the show. So what are some of the exciting developments in the women's game that you're tracking? I mean, there's some extraordinarily talented golfers uh, entering the fray. Uh, you're, you're flying up the ranks, and so it must be good for you to be feeling like you're competing at the highest level. What are you? I get the sense that the women's game is almost moving faster than the men's game is. What are some of the things that are really exciting to you about the ladies' game at the moment? I definitely think it's moving faster than the men's game. Yeah, you know, we, we're getting up to as many tournaments. I mean, I think this year we were supposed to have 36 tournaments. Due to COVID, we're only going to have 15. What a pity! So it's yeah. quite disappointing because yeah. it was going to be the biggest year for us yeah yeah going forward we had a draft schedule and next year looks fantastic amazing Um, there's actually like too many tournaments that you're gonna have to choose from it's Mm, a great problem mm. to have um as long as we don't have too many effects from covid um but yes the fact that you know when i started playing we had many tournaments then we hit a crash in 2010 and Mm. thanks to mike one who's the commissioner of the lpj 10 years later 
he's taken this tour to another level and we're playing for as mo- the most money we've ever played for. Yeah, yeah. The purse sizes are starting to look legitimate, yeah. Yeah. We're never going to be on the same field as the men. It's just the way it is as much as we'd like to be. You know, that's because of TV. You're always going to have more viewership. But um, I have noticed that more and more people are starting to watch women's golf. Yeah. And especially when we play programs, how surprised I think the men are when they play with us. Mm, mm. And they actually, after the day, they like a lot of them have played in men's programs and women's programs, and they far more enjoy playing with us. Mm. They say we're a lot more accommodating, they've had more fun. And I think the biggest point is they can relate more to our game. Because mm, if they're mm. playing with these guys that hit it 350 yards and they're 100 yards behind them, it's not relatable. Sure. Whereas sure. they see we, we hit it 250 yards, um, but it's the way we pitch and putt. And it's like, well, I can do that if I practice it. 100%. I don't have to yeah. hit it 350 yards to be a good golfer. So I think that's where they really enjoy playing with us. And that's where I think we're starting to see the game grow to in viewership. Ashad, I mean, I'd like to dig into that one point a little bit more. And I mean, it's not necessarily the topic of this podcast, but I think it is a really interesting topic. And I had a lengthy debate outside a pub in Wimbledon with a friend of mine after <laughs> very luckily getting to go and watch three really top tier tennis matches at Wimbledon, which is a yeah. bucket list item for me and big fan of the sport. And just to be at that place and, and experience it was extraordinary. But we were talking about the gap in pay between, you know, the highest tiers of men's sport and the highest tiers of women's mm-hmm. sport and the same and the same and as you as you rightly point out, one of the defenses against lower pay is TV rights, right? It's viewership. Yes. It's a, but I mean my my argument against that was it's a little bit chicken and egg. I mean if you look at the development in women's big bash league as a as an example in Australia mm-hmm. and how viewership has shot up over the last while because they found really smart ways of screening games at the right time before other games showcasing the right type of content promoting players doing the doing the ecosystem of work around these female stars that you know is the equivalent of what the male stars get uh, there's a part of me that sort of believes that it could get there if we were willing to afford if, if you know there's got to be a bit of give and take here and at some point in time you've got to offer women the same platform because then there's absolutely no reason why the money should be any different We've got to believe that it's heading in that direction, surely. I do believe, um, definitely. And I mean, tennis is a perfect example. Yeah. But I think, you know, that it helps when the majors, why the women are getting the same as the men is because they played alongside each other. Yes. So you play, yes. come in, you play women's semifinal, men's semifinal. Yes. You know? Yes. So it's one venue, you know, one broadcast, yes. same viewership, and everybody's watching everything. Yes. So that's why it's, you're able to do it with tennis. Yeah. Um, they are trying to find ways um, around it in golf. We've had events in Europe where we've played the same in the same place in Morocco with the men. Mm-hmm. You're still playing on your course. They're playing on their course. Okay. okay. And there is talk about doing a alternative LPGA times. and yeah. PGA yeah, um, events. In Australia, too, we play um, the Vic Open. Yeah. And it goes like we're playing in our own tournaments, but we're – Playing for the same purse, I think it was like one point two million dollars. Yeah, which for us is actually a smaller purse, but still, it goes like one men's three ball, one women's three ball, one men's. So then people are getting to watch both sides. Yeah. So they'll go from a men's group back to a women's group, and it, it works so well. And that's the way you're going to get viewership to go out. Sure, I don't see a downside to there. To get the same purses, no, and people are getting to watch 
women's and men's golf. I mean, it's, it's a great combo. And as you rightly point out, there are subtle differences to the games. If you, if you don't have the distance, you're concentrating more on, on short game. And yes. this is something that I, a lot of men who are watching men's golf exclusively or a lot of viewers who are watching men's golf exclusively aren't really realizing. I mean, if you compare stats for stats, the, the short game stats are astonishing. Like, and, and yeah. there's no real appreciation for the, the nuances between the two, you know, kind of the established mm-hmm. gender differences and how we've kind of missed out on some really extraordinary play because we're just not getting an opportunity to see it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think the more that it's broadcasted and shown, and now in South Africa for the first time in a long time, you are getting just about every LPGA event broadcasted. Unfortunately, it's not at the time, so then not as many people get to see it. Mm, but mm. the people that are golf fans record it and, and watch it and are able to, to see it. And it's great for like my family that when I have been in contention and been playing well, that family and friends are able to watch. Amazing. So I want to ask a, a question going back to that young Ashley all those years ago making decisions to enter the world of professional sport. If you had the opportunity to hop in a time machine and, and go back to her, would you give her any advice about doing anything differently? I always say, people ask me, what would you do differently? Um, there's not a lot, to be honest. I had such a good – I came through the ranks. I feel the way you should. I played junior golf, amateur golf, professional. You know, I went through all the stages. And I think I was lucky enough to do it the way I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing I maybe would do differently is maybe have gotten more into the fitness side of things earlier. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be benefiting me more now. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, I'm I'm happy with where I am right now in my career. Mm-hmm. It's taken me longer to get you than I would have thought. But I'm very satisfied with where I am. And I feel like I'm definitely the closest to winning out on the LPJ that I've ever been. And I've enjoyed the steps. You know, there's been hard times where you were of like, course, really, yeah. is, this, is this what you're going to do? And you know, there were times when I was a kid where it felt like my world was coming to an end. Um, sure. Uh, this is a good story. I, I played my first amateur tournament at Wanderers. I think I was about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, I'm going to school in the morning. My dad's picking me up, dropping me off for afternoon tea time. Yeah. My first tournament, I, I shoot like 86, I think. Yeah. 86, 86. And I mean, I get in the car and I'm balling. <laughs> Look, I would have been thrilled with an 86 on Wanderers. But yes, I understand your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm some like, and I'm, and I'm 12 and I'm saying, well, how will anybody ever recognize me? And I was so ingrained with people noticing me instead of just playing my game hmm. Hmm. that I went out and he said to me, all you got to do is go out tomorrow and shoot a better score than you did today. And all you ever do is let your club do the talking. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. And the next day I went out and I shot like 76, 10 shots better. And I got a little write-up in the star from Grant Winter. <laughs> and there I got my recognition, but it was a point of, you know, you're not going there for other people to recognize. You're going to play golf for yourself and stick to what you know what to do. And the accolades will come after. Yeah. So it was a, it was a, good, uh, a good learning point from my dad. <laughs> it sounds like let your clubs do the talking is a principle that you've probably used more than once uh, since then. Uh, are there any other sort of guiding principles or – values that have kind of been really important to your journey uh, as a professional? Definitely. I mean, I think along the way you have to stop and look back and appreciate what you've done and mm-hmm. enjoy the journey. And Zinzan Brook, I met him when I was an amateur and he told me oh, that. Wow. And he said, you know, if I give you any advice, just enjoy the journey and the process. Hmm. 
because it does go quickly. Yeah. Like to think that this is my 13th year and I'm like, wow, this can't be. I still feel like I'm 18, 21 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not. And now I started to look back and, and last week I was actually putting together a bio and you forget like what you've accomplished and especially what I did in Europe. I, I didn't even realize like how many top tens I've had over there because I've always been so focused on being successful on the LPGA that what I did in Europe was also an accomplishment. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you need to step back and, and take a look at what you've done and appreciate it sometimes. Are there, maybe I can ask that question I asked earlier on slightly differently and then I, I want to finish off just with one other question, but is there anything that you would say to perhaps not young Ashley, but if you had a handful of really talented up and coming young female golfing stars, what is some of the advice you would give them? I mean, obviously you would tell them <laughs> like Zinzan did to enjoy the journey, but mm, what yeah. what other things might you offer them in terms of advice or wisdom? So yeah, enjoy the journey. Do it because you want to do it, not because somebody else is pushing you to do mm. it and living their yeah. dreams through you. I find that happens far too often. A lot, yeah. Obviously you have to practice and put in the time <laughs> <laughs> and surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with people that are going to be there for you during the ups and the downs mm. and don't care if you're playing good or bad. Yeah. And because they, they love you and, and you know support you for who you are, not because you're you know, Ashley the golfer because you're Ashley the person. Yeah. And that's what you want. Sure. That's good advice. So finally, um, what's on the horizon? Talk to me about Ashley's big goals for the next two or three years, if, you, if you're comfortable divulging them. But I'm really, you know, you, you're playing really well. Uh, you've been moving up the rankings. Uh, I'm sure that there are, there are some big goals or, you know, sort of big ambitions uh, as soon as the world <laughs> returns to some sense of normality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell me about what's on your horizon and what you're really excited about. I'm just excited with how comfortable I am at the moment mm. being out and competing on LPGA. You know, I really feel like I finally belong and I can compete. Mm. Um, mm. So obviously, I've been close to winning. That's obviously my first goal mm. to you know compete in the majors. That's what you want to have a chance to win. Mm. But for me, it's yes, you want to win, but it's about consistency. You know, I'd rather have. A year like this year where I've only missed one cut. Yeah. Then have one or two, three good weeks where you're going to earn the same money hmm. as you would, but then you've missed like five or six cuts. Yeah. Because that puts a lot of pressure on yourself and it's the road because the up, down, the emotions. Of course. So it's something that I feel my coach and I have managed to do very well the last four years is become more consistent out here. And when you're consistent, you're going to get the one or two good weeks where it's just going to happen for you. So yeah, obviously to win. To get myself into the top 50 in the world, um, you know, this year I started outside the top 100. I'm mm, 72nd mm, at the moment, I think. Mm. So I'm gaining. I think if I could get into it by the end of the year, it's definitely doable. Yeah. And then, yeah, hopefully next year we can pick out a schedule that we're going to play all these tournaments and do well in them. And then hopefully we have the Olympics next year. We're supposed to go to the Olympics this year. Of course, yeah. So of course. I went in 2016. And it's Rio is something in Rio. And I think golf in Japan at the Olympics is just going to be huge. Gosh, Tokyo is going to be sensational. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we get back to normal and we can go do that and compete in that and do well. I have no doubt. So, you know, actually we can see, I mean, watching you play, we can see that confidence and 
just your level of comfort and enjoyment, I think, is what I've gotten mm-hmm. out of this conversation, that you still just really love playing golf. And we can see that when you play. And I think, you know, as as fans and as South Africans, we, we appreciate just how extraordinary an ambassador you've been for uh, the sport, for our country, but, you know, just for women's golf in general. And I just, yeah, on behalf of all of us, want to wish you the very best for, you know, what this crazy year that's clo- coming to a close. Um, you know, we'll be watching those rankings and I have no doubt that you'll get up to that top 50 spot. Um, but just want to, you. you know, wish you the very best of luck and, and encourage you for next year. And yeah, we'll be, we'll be watching late at night and, and, and uh, I have no doubt you're going to play phenomenally. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Pleasure, thanks. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.